0: It's summertime, and for our summer sermon series, we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. John's gospel is very different from the other gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they follow a lot of the same stories, the same pattern, even the same kind of time lapse or time frame um, as one another. They're called the synoptic gospels for that reason. But John stands alone. He does something entirely different with the story of Jesus. It's not that it's a different story. It's just put together in a very different way and for a different purpose. Remember when I graduated from high school, I had three friends. And the four of us got together and said, it would be really cool that when we get to our banquet, we all have kind of matching tuxedos. We wanted, you know, the the black tuxedos with the long tails. I don't know, we thought it was cool or something. So we got to the banquet and myself and two other friends were dressed with our black tuxes and the long tails. Our fourth friend came in and he had long tails, but he had a white tux. And so in photos of the four of us together, you see the three of us looking very similar. And then there's one guy just standing out all on his own. That's kind of like John's gospel for me. Uh, John's gospel in the four gospels stands out all on its own. Well, John is very clear about why he's writing this gospel message, and we find that out right near the end of the book in John chapter 20 and verse 31. He says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was John's purpose, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you might have life in his name. And that's really our purpose, too, for exploring the seven I am statements, so that you and I together might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing, we might experience life together in his name. Well, the phrase I am... It occurs about 24 times throughout John's gospel, and most of the time is just an ordinary way for a person to refer to himself or herself. It's not just used by Jesus, it's used by a number of other characters, and sometimes just casually by saying, I am. But sometimes Jesus loads that phrase with a deep meaning that's very, very controversial and stirs up a whole lot of trouble. Here's four instances where Jesus does that. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, he says this. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Or how about John chapter 8 and verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Or in John chapter 13, verse 19, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am. Well, I am what? Whenever Jesus does that and he kind of leaves the rest of the sentence off and just stands alone with I am, we know that he's doing something special and unique with that phrase. In fact, that phrase is a direct connection all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. In Genesis 3, Moses is out in the wilderness. He's gone to the burning bush, and he's received a command from Yahweh, from God, to go and deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. But Moses says, wait a minute. When I go there, they're going to say, who sent you? So give me a name. Whom shall I say sent me? And God essentially says, You know what? You don't get to name me, but when you go, just simply say, I am sent you, for I am who I am. I exist, and that's enough. And so Jesus picks up this phrase. So, was Jesus really claiming equal status with Almighty God? Well, John chapter 18 makes it perfectly clear that he was. In John 18, Judas is coming with a number of the uh, authorities, and they're coming to arrest Jesus. And when they come and they identify Jesus, he says this, Jesus said to them, I am. And when he said to them, I am, they went backwards and fell on the ground. So it's very clear that this statement, when used by Jesus in this way, was meant to equate him with Almighty God, that's an amazing, startling truth that caused a lot of controversy then, and it still does today. So it's very clear in John's Gospel that Jesus was fully aware of his divinity, and it's very clear that he claimed to be the Messiah and that he claimed to be God in the flesh. I love C.S. Lewis's book, "Mere Christianity." And there's a quote in that that I'm going to read to you at at full length. And it's a little longer, so we'll put it on the screen so you can read along with me. C.S. Lewis says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or... You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let's not come up with some patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Such a powerful quote that fits right in with the heart of John's gospel. He's written these things down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, And by believing, we might have life in his name. So the seven I am statements come kind of loaded with divinity. And they also reveal some unique aspects of the life and character and identity of Jesus. So let's look at the first one together. In John chapter 6, we encounter Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. In fact, In John chapter 6, which is, I think, the longest chapter in John's gospel, it is full of bread. Verse by verse, people are hungry, and bread is everywhere. This is not a gluten-free passage. This is a passage that's loaded with meaning and loaded with bread. In fact, there's three primary kinds of bread that are alluded to within this passage. First of all, there's a basic barley loaf, the kind of loaf that Jesus used to feed the 5,000. There's also, secondly, the manna from heaven. It wasn't literally bread, but it was always called the bread of God or bread of heaven. And then thirdly, there's the Passover bread. So these three kinds of bread form three distinct sections within this long chapter in John's Gospel. And each type of bread is followed by an increasingly hostile questions from the crowd, from the Jerusalem leaders, and even from the disciples. And these questions end up escalating to the point right at the end of the passage where there's a whole group of people that say, forget it, I'm out. I'm no longer going to follow this man, Jesus. So what's the issue? Why were they so upset With Jesus well here first of all Jesus claimed to be the bread that satisfies the bread that satisfies Uh, it's interesting because as the crowd in the passage part of the passage we read as the crowd catches up with Jesus he speaks directly to them and he says you're here simply to satisfy your stomachs I'm here to satisfy your souls I'm here to satisfy you with eternal life, not just with temporal life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read a fascinating verse and says that God has placed eternity in the human heart. And Jesus, by his death and resurrection, really wants to fill that longing by providing eternal life to those who believe. So here's the point. Jesus didn't come simply to give bread. Jesus came to be bread. He came to be that eternal satisfaction for us. And so just as an ordinary barley loaf satisfied the crowds and the feeding of the 5,000, so Jesus wants to satisfy our spiritual longing for eternity. And he says that's found in no one else. It's found in me He claimed to be the bread that satisfies. Second of all, he also claimed to be the bread that was sent from God. This is the reference to the manna. And there's a whole section in the passage about this. And you can dig into it a little bit more because it's fascinating. Manna or the bread from heaven was what was provided to the Israelites as they journeyed in the desert from Egypt to the promised land. It was God's provision to sustain them and to give them life while they wandered in the desert. Now Jesus is coming and saying, I am that manna. I am God's provision. I have come down from heaven to be life for the world. And the reaction to that is quite severe. They look at one another, this crowd does, not and they say, wait a minute. Don't we know this guy's parents? Isn't he kind of a local boy? And now he's claiming what? That he came down from heaven? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what Jesus was claiming, and it stirred up trouble. He equated himself with the holy manna from heaven, God's provision. And by doing so, he claimed to be the bread that was sent from God. So Jesus claimed to be the bread that satisfied, the bread that was sent. And then thirdly, he claimed to be the bread that saves. And this is a reference to the Passover bread. And at this point, Jesus is just pushing the train that's going faster and faster in this passage, just pushes the train right off the rails. And and people just go a little bit crazy. In, In fact, if you read the passage all the way to the end, you'll come across probably the most difficult part in John's gospel that talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. That's something we'll have to maybe explore together a little bit further. But if you're feeling that this is a difficult passage, you're in very good company because right in the passage it says, this is a difficult saying. It's like a a little warning at the bottom of the screen. This is a difficult saying, beware. And it is a difficult saying. But part of the way we understand that is to understand the context of the Passover, because that is very much a part of this passage. Right at the beginning of the chapter, we're alerted to the fact that it's approaching the time for Passover. And during the Passover meal and the Passover celebration, the, the host would pick up uh, some of the unleavened bread, the, 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 matz, the matzah, and would break it and then would take part of that bread and fold it into a napkin or hide it. Even today in Jewish households, they continue to practice this. And that part of the hidden bread was sometimes put away for the kids to find later. Well, at this time in the time of Jesus, it was often hidden and put away to represent something important. It would represent a number of things, the coming of the Messiah, that was for now hidden. It could also represent the fact that there was still suffering in this world, but there would be a final redemption that is to come. And so when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he took that bread, that Afra common bread, and he broke it. But instead of hiding it, he gave it to his disciples with these startling words, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In other words, the Messiah is no longer hidden. The the final act of God's redemption is no longer hidden. It is completely fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is declaring, I am the Messiah, and there's life in my blood and in my body. That's a startling revelation, and it's so startling That at this point, people are ready just to riot because of what Jesus is actually claiming here. So Jesus made the claim that he was the Messiah from God. And he does this by referencing the Passover bread. So what about us today? What does all this talk of bread have to do with you and me as we work through this passage and apply it to our lives? Well, this is the longest chapter in John. I think probably the longest chapter in the whole New Testament. I encourage you to read it throughout this week, again and again, all 70-something verses as you go through it. But one thing is for certain in this passage. Everyone is hungry. It's a hungry passage. And I think we are too. We're hungry for all kinds of things. I think we're hungry for true love. I think we're hungry to have a sense of importance or satisfaction in our work. I, I think we're, we're hungry for spiritual reality and for truth. We hunger for so, so many things. But like the crowds, we're often so consumed with trying to satisfy our immediate needs and desires that we forget about the eternal satisfaction that is promised only to be found in Jesus. Jesus is the satisfaction for that eternal longing the core verse that's really found in this passage says this do not spend all your time and effort and energy pursuing food that spoils the stuff that's going to pass away the stuff that is temporary but seek out the food that endures for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you it's interesting at the time of Jesus At every meal, bread was present, Uh, but bread wasn't present as the main dish or even a side dish. Uh, Bread was more like a utensil, something that you tore off in order to access all the rest of the food on the table. Now, I know that Jesus didn't yell out, I'm the utensil of life. That doesn't have the same ring to it, but he kind of is. He's that essential part of the meal. He is the essential element to help us to satisfy that longing for eternity. He is the utensil of God's grace. It's interesting as we look at different cultures around the world and some that maybe uh, don't have bread on the table all the time, it's interesting what they might think of in terms of the essential part of the meal. Uh, I once worked with a, a gentleman from China and uh, whenever we went out to a restaurant for a meal, he always made sure he had rice. And his explanation was, for me, he said, it's like I have a second stomach that's only for rice. And I'm only satisfied when I finally have rice at the meal. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. I know when my dad, when I was growing up, my dad was a real meat and potatoes kind of man. And if there wasn't potatoes in some form on his plate, no matter what else he had there, he wasn't satisfied. Jesus is like that for us. I know a lot of us have a lot going on on our plates and a lot of good things. But if Jesus is missing from that, we will never be satisfied. That's the kind of image that we have when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You may fill your life with a lot of good things, but you'll never be fully satisfied until I'm part of that and the essential part of that. Without Jesus we will remain hungry, and we will be thirsty for spiritual satisfaction. But with Jesus, as he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Like the disciples, we want to say, Lord, give us this bread always.